Hello, I'm Lorraine Ollie from the Los Angeles Times, and we're here today to talk about Dickinson on Apple TV+. Uh, it just celebrated its third and final season, and Dickinson follows the life of the young poet, Emily Dickinson, uh, set in the 19th century, and it is an irreverent comedy that is also based in very finely researched historical fact. So, without further ado, let's go on and talk to the people, the creatives, and the cast of Dickinson. Starting with creator and showrunner, Hi, I'm Elena Smith. I am the creator and showrunner of Dickinson. Moving on to, let's see, how about you, Anna? I'm Anna Baryshnikov and I play Lavinia. Ella? Hi, I'm Ella Hunt and I play Sue. Chanaza? Hi, I'm Chanaza Uche and I play Henry. And Adrian? Hello, I'm Adrian Blake Ensko and I play Austin. Thank you so much for all being here. Um, Dickinson just had its final and third season, which was fantastic, although I'm sad that it's over, but also it was just a kind of amazing season in many ways. Elena, I just want to start with you. Um, this season, just backing up a little bit, the series has been so um, historically accurate, but also incredibly relevant to our times. And this season, we're going into the Civil War. We're in the Civil War. And so can you just talk a little bit about why choosing something so big <laughs> to kind of close with? Sure. Well, um, you know, from the beginning, I knew that Dickinson was going to be a three-season arc that would culminate in the Civil War. Emily Dickinson's most productive writing years uh, were the four years of the Civil War. Um, she, you know, she wrote like she was completely on fire in that time and produced hundreds of her greatest poems. And she never wrote as much before or after. And to me, this was very provocative in terms of a figure like Dickinson, who we think of as being isolated, secluded from her society. Um, which of course is a, a bit of a myth that this show hopes in particular to unpack. Um, but for me, it's just a really interesting question of like how are artists affected by the world around them, even if externally they seem to be quite protected from what's happening in that, in that world. Um, you know, back when I pitched the show, I knew it was going to climax in the civil war. And I knew that, um, we were going to meet a group of black soldiers that was connected to Emily because a man named Thomas Wentworth Higginson, um, uh, who had organized this regiment of soldiers in the South, became Emily's most important correspondent. They actually corresponded for 24 years, but it began during the Civil War. And he also ended up being her first editor of poems shortly after she died. Um, and uh, so all of this was there from the beginning. And if you watch what I now like is that the show, you know, all three seasons, 30 episodes are on Apple TV plus, and you can start at the beginning and go all the way through. And I think you'll see that all the seeds for season three are planted even in the very first episode of the show. 
Um, so it was extremely gratifying to get to finally tell this climactic part of Emily's story, um, despite you know, the world that we were living in, uh, which was growing more and more chaotic uh, by the day, including a pandemic, um, a, a massive racial reckoning in our country that certainly uh, uncannily paralleled some of the um, material that we were trying to deal with in the show. Um, and, you know, just the general chaos of, of uh, trying to tell a story together. So it was, um, it, it was really, I, I think, in many ways, our most difficult season to pull off, but also um, the one that I think made us all feel the best about the work that we were doing. Well, Tsunaza, your character, Henry, had the most interesting arc um, this season as well, because here he had, you know, run this abolitionist paper, and then he's actually going to South Carolina. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because it's really gets to a lot of um, issues of what we're dealing with now about facing America's history and uh, kind of a racial reckoning. Yeah, I feel like one thing through the three seasons, I think one thing that Elena captured and offered through Henry was somebody trying to figure out what to do with their voice in relationship and like a reflection to Emily, you know, different person, different situation, but a similar question. And I think through the three seasons, Henry tries different attempts. And in the third season, he finds himself on the battlefield and has to decide what is he willing to give for freedom for his family? And yeah, I can't think of a more timely time to land in that kind of question. And he goes down south as a teacher, but of course, as any good teacher, he learns from the people he meets and that's part of his journey. And I think the idea too of um, the difference between the way that the North and South is seeing things, even between the black soldiers and Henry coming down, that was also interesting, you know? Yeah, I think Henry's really cool, both up North and down South, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Southern soldiers seem to feel a little different, but uh, Henry knows in his heart that he's really cool. But it was a cool exploration of like, this country's so big. You know what I mean? That there are so many different Americas and this season also allows Henry to come into contact with a different one. And um, also mm -hmm. hilarity ensues from that. Which I think is a great example too of where the method of this show, which is actually to be extremely faithful to the facts and do a ton of research and a ton of specific uncovering of you know, these different cultures, these different paradoxes that exist that 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 becomes a way of shining a light on our actual lived experience today, whether that's about race, gender, sexuality, ambition, art, being an artist, um, you know, having a family, all, all these things were just as complicated in the 1860s as they are today. Um, and in a weird way, I feel like the history that the show gets into, which is all quite well researched in and of itself, it's not for the sake of knowing the history that we do it. It's for the sake of shining the light back on ourselves and seeing how complex 
our experiences are today. Yeah, and I think you really see that too. I'm gonna like go between Ella, Adrian, and Anna, all of you here, because all of your characters are also not even just trying to find their voice, but figure out their place. And they're they're faced with these um, societal expectations. For instance, Lavinia, I should be married. I, I really should be married. I'm going to be a spinster. I'm going to be miserable. But Sue is married and a mother, totally exhausted and miserable. And then, you know, um, Austin is supposed to be a man and fighting in the war, but I want to, you know, nurture my son. You know, <laughs> and so it's like all of these expectations and you all grappling with them gets to expectations of gender, of all of this. So if you guys can just talk about that, because I think it's so interesting and again, relevant right now. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like such a timeless conflict that like society's expectation of me versus me at my core. And I'd say like, especially this season, it was such a delight to watch Sue, this very repressed character who's dealt so intensely with the restraint of society and the restraint of her place in society um, as someone who's like close to impoverished when we first meet her, like her entire family is dead. She's she's really terrified of being destitute and the way that that impacts her and, and watching her come into this season and stepping into stepping into what she wants for her life and her queerness and her love for Emily and 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 what she wants for herself as a mother it was really so special to play that for me now in 2020 as well because I, I felt like I was going through a similar moment in my personal life of allowing myself to be who I wanted to be and not feeling I guess repressed by expectation um, so yeah, it does feel so timeless to me, these, these storylines that Elena has allowed us to play within. Yeah, I would say one thing that's really special about this season is, is we get the chance to see a lot of these characters uh, flourishing um, when they issue these, uh, these uh, expectations that are being heaped on them by society. Um, you know, when Austin and Sue have the conversation of like what it might be like to be a non-traditional family and allow Austin, even though he's a man, to start taking care of the child, um, he, you get to see him be the happiest that he's been, I think, in all three seasons. And so it's, uh, I think we're all constantly, there are many ways that we are failed, even in our modern context, by the expectations that society has on us. And it's really exciting to be able to see the characters kind of this season be like, eh, I mean, we're still fighting them. <laughs> um, it would, uh, there's still conflict, but, um, but I, that was one of my favorite parts of the season for sure. Yeah. And I think part of what the show does is challenge everyone's expectations about what Emily Dickinson's life might have looked like. And for me, at least a huge part of that was how also unconventional and strange her family was, you know, even though she had this kind of traditionally patriarchal pressure from her father who had released literature about what he thought a woman's place was in society. You also had Lavinia who was 
also not married, also very idiosyncratic and as, as was described as speaking with kind of a strange vernacular and having, you know, nights on end sitting on a guy's lap in her living room. And you have Sue and Emily, their incredibly close relationship. I mean, the Dickinsons as a whole were a very strange, unconventional group of people in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, Emily seems like such a, a fluke in the system. How could a woman in this time period have created all of this incredible work and you just start to get to peek at the kind of permission structure and strange support system that the Dickinsons themselves created for her. Well, and I, I do want to say, um, you know, given that th this was a show that when it first came out um, uh, was met with a lot of, uh, I think, raised eyebrows and skepticism about um, you know, why would you take Emily Dickinson and make her into this crazy, you know, um, like, whatever, like, like, rebellious, um, more sort of like, radical or wild figure than she was. And um, that reaction uh, was most often coming from people who didn't actually know anything about Emily Dickinson other than the received myth. And one of the most gratifying sort of uh, conclusions to this whole experiment for me is that our show has actually um, been able to give a pretty massive gift to the Dickinson Museum in Amherst, which is Emily Dickinson's house um, and is a place that I visited right when I was beginning to work on the show. And, uh, and I've formed a really special relationship with over the time of making it. And um, the museum is closed for renovation, but when it reopens this summer, um, it will be reopening with uh, huge amounts of our set props and costumes. So Emily's actual house is going to be refurbished with the creation that we made. Um, and additionally to that, which is which is sort of the bigger part of this, but there's also an archive of the making of the show with all the scripts and all, uh, again, some props and a lot of what went into the design of things like main title sequences. Um, all of that is at the Harvard Library in their Dickinson collection um, in an archive now. So the, that um, speaks to, I think, the way that the show has been deeply embraced by the scholarly and academic community of people who really care about Dickinson and of course, whose work is what inspired the show in the first place. It wasn't, um, I didn't make this up. I studied work that had been being generated by these scholars who were really trying to redeem Emily from a lot of the, the bullshit that had been spread about her. Um, so I just, I encourage people uh, not to, jump to conclusions. If you look into really any piece of the show, you're going to find extremely surprising historical truth. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know that there's any other TV show that's actively uh, refurbished a museum. So um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel really good about that. <laughs> we have to visit again. I have I'll, to be. I'll, I'll be doing like events there this fall, I think. I'm so. moving there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. What what is in there? Is it like 
costumes? Is I mean, literally like-, like our kitchen. Like the kitchen is going to be the kitchen and like rugs and curtains and plates and clothing. And I mean, because our set was so well researched by the designers um, who, who, who were, you know, our production designer, our set decorator, um, they, you know, one of the things that was nice about shooting on the East Coast is that we were able to trawl, you know, antique shows from like New York to Maine and collect artifacts. So just as an amazing example, in the beginning of season two, Emily is struggling with eye problems, which is a real thing that happened. And she went to visit an ophthalmologist and we got actual ophthalmology equipment from the 1860s, from America's first ophthalmologist, which is the doctor that Emily saw. And that's going to be at the museum now in an exhibit about Emily's eye problems. Um, Yeah. So it's really incredible. I might just pop it on and, and go and go, go to the Dickinson Museum and I think you guys get free passes for life. <laughs> I, I just want to go back and keep looking. <laughs> but will they recognize you outside of you know? The pop the corset on and pop a long wig. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, for instance, this season when you know the family takes the tour of the insane asylum where the women are. And I was thinking also about like last season, the visit to the opera house, like how, yes, there's these comical moments in it. And yes, you know, there's these modern flourishes, but at the base of it, you know, the idea of women being hysterical for essentially having any emotions or for essentially grieving or any of that, I could see the research in that. I could see it historically rooted in something. So even a moment like that, where there's plenty of, you know, uh, comedy in it, it really was pretty deep as well. I, I don't want to keep dominating this, but but uh, but you know, Edward Dickinson really was the trustee of an insane asylum for women, and Emily really did visit an opera. So all of these things are jumping off of real fact, and then examining, you know, the tr- the <laughs> it's sort of gallows humor, right? I mean, the whole idea of this is that the past is present. I I mean, there's a James Baldwin quote that sort of, I had, you know, taped over my desk for this whole time that said, history is not past, it is present. And um, we are carrying all of this with us. And again, in terms of season three and the civil war and American history being fundamentally a history of racial conflict. um, You know, there was no way that this show um, about this white female poet was not going to ultimately become a story about America's trauma, traumatic history of race, which is not a history, it is a present. You know, it's, it's, it's what we're all walking through, like a haunted house now, you know. Right, and there's, Chinaza, at one point, well, throughout this this season and even the show, but we're looking at also divides, right? I mean, obviously the civil war is a divide, but we as a nation right now are incredibly divided. Um, Henry says at one point about the reckoning, he says, in order to get to the future, you need to understand the past, studying the darkness and pain and paradox. If you don't, how can you move forward into the light? So when you're, playing Henry and you're, you know, you're going through this. 
how chilling was it to be connecting it to now? In other words, is it, did it, were there revelations to right now or was it chilling to right now? Or how, how did you connect those two things? Was it chilling? I don't think it was chilling. I think like everyone else has said already, so many aspects of the, of this season, I imagine have some relief to have a place to put all these thoughts and questions that we're all living with. Um, and so many, like you guys are saying, like so many questions, I don't know. I think silence is more chilling. I feel like what has been attempted to be done to Emily Dickinson and what the show has been fighting is a silencing of who she was in her three dimensionality. So I think any opportunity to share where people really are is a relief and also probably really funny and strange and weird because people are never just like plain and boring. And I think the show does a great job of being like, hey, they, this, they were people just like you. And hopefully that is an alarm clock but also some relief to be like, oh, I see myself, I feel myself, I see my questions, you know, maybe you can breathe a little easier afterwards. That's beautifully said, Chanaza. Thank you so much for, yeah. I, I think it's true. It's like these, it's, it's like these, these conversations can be so hard that it can be a desire to just not have them. But then we're all, stuck in our own perspectives and not connecting, which especially, I mean, it's funny to be having this, this even over Zoom, you know, so much of what we had to do to make season three had to happen over Zoom. The entire writer's room was over Zoom, um, you know, to be actually confronting these issues and not able to be in the same space or even when we were on set to be masked, you know, to be afraid um, it's been very hard. It's really taken a toll. And I think that our work um, survived it, but I really look forward to a time when we can put our arms around each other and have, you know, to, to move through this stuff face to face. Yeah, I have to say, I, certainly to, to me, it was such an immense comfort to be able to come to Dickinson in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of what we were going through as a society and, and just on, on personal levels, to be, to be with a group of creatives that we all knew and trusted so deeply and to get to go through this or to get to go through a chapter of this together, um, yeah, had, had so much meaning and so much comfort. One of the most emotional days of shooting and one of those moments when real when 20 what was it 2021 at that point what was, year is it what was Where it 2020 <laughs> one of those years um was mirroring what we were doing so eerily was the the fifth episode of the season the sing-along um because it was such a challenge a logistical challenge to shoot us all being in the same room singing together during covid and it was one of the more technically difficult days and you know the whole conceit of the episode is a family trying to get together and do something fun in the middle of of a war to try to enjoy themselves and i felt like a child that had been released at a playground i felt high and giddy all day and i realized how I hadn't allowed myself to have fun in so long. And by the end of the day shooting, Haley was singing hard times. 
And I was like trying not to make noise that was going to ruin the shop because I was weeping because it had been such an incredibly difficult time. And I hadn't let myself relax in a while. And the camera broke that day, which always adds a little <laughs> something else. <laughs> and also, you know, I think um, Austin says something to this effect. Sometimes it's hard to separate your own sorrow from the sorrow of society. So what is it that you're feeling and what is it that's going on outside the door? And again, like those moments get to it so well of like, the pressures outside versus what's going on inside. And I think the show so wonderfully kind of reflects that. I mean, we all, we all exist in a social framework. We, we make the decisions that we make um, either in accordance with or against uh, what, what society is telling us to do. And um, we're all always feeling things together as much as we want to try to put ourselves and each other in little boxes. Um, we, uh, I totally can relate to what Anna is saying about, about uh, that being such a release when we were able to sing together against all odds. Um, it, it was like so much pent up that had, that had been with us throughout the last year that was finally coming out. Um, and it was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to be in this space. This was my first art making project back from the pandemic. And there were obviously a lot of logistical hurdles, but it was it was incredible to be surrounded by all of these people, like Ella said. And if we can just talk a little bit about the combination here, and I, it's almost like we've gotten used to, because this is the third season that we're talking about, but putting the modern vernacular, modern music, mixing modernity with pop culture with the 19th century this show is so wonderfully unique in the way that dickinson has been able to combine all those things and not be self-conscious about it and be wonderfully irreverent but still be respectful well i think that the thing is that there you know we've we've now you know that's not a new thing to have to have pop music with a, in a period context right um uh but what we do with it on Dickinson, there's intentionality about it. We're saying something through the kind of cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, the music on the show is basically the opposite of the corsets. Um, you know, the, the costumes, the production design, all of that is impeccably period. And that's the constraints that Emily and her peers are trapped in. Um, but the music is like a straight shot of their of of her consciousness and other people who are like Emily, who feel trapped in their circumstances, which is every character played by the people here. Um, you know, that's that soul demanding to move forward, demanding, you know, to to escape from the conventions of society. So. Um, and the same as the language, you know, when somebody on the show speaks more period, it means they're more stuck in the old ways. And when somebody speaks more contemporary, it means they're pushing up against that. And so there is um, 
you know, like I said, they're, 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 we're making a point. It's a dialectic between the past and the present. It's not, um, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it's not just a soundtrack, you know, like it's, it's an active part of creating the feeling of Dickinson. I never would have wanted to make a straightforward historical biopic of Emily Dickinson, because to me, that would be incredibly boring. It has not, I don't, I don't like uh, what I'm trying to talk about is our lives now. And, you know, the ways that our lives now still feel constrained by 19th century expectations. And to Elena's point about the language, that experience as an actor, at least for me, meant that I felt like I was constantly engaging with the project of the show. I was never only able to just play a, a scene without parsing apart what Elena was saying through the scene because the text was so rich and there were so many options in there were so many options in terms of demeanor to you know to play it closer to the period or to really run with something modern and to kind of choose the moments to do that and I've said it to her millions of times but it was that's what made it the most incredibly like, just a gift to, as an actor to get to do. Well, thank you so much um, for talking about Dickinson. And um, I guess one last question, what are you gonna miss the most? Uh, Elena's scripts, I think to go off what Arno was just talking about, like to play characters and to play within material that is this rich um, and expansive is, is um, such a, a privilege and, and it's and it's an honor to have represented characters on screen that perhaps haven't been represented before, or, or are, we're just in a new chapter of of our journey as filmmakers at the moment, where finally we're getting to see these stories that haven't been told. So, so to get to be part of that to me has meant such a huge, huge amount. Yeah, I think uh, in line with that, I. Uh... My, my dad was the primary caretaker uh, in my family. And so it was really fantastic to be able to see that arc happen in this season of the show. Um, that meant a lot to me, but I will, I will say that probably the biggest thing that I'll miss besides all of my wonderful castmates and hanging out with Elena um, is the costumes because I really got to embrace my, my inner fancy boy. <laughs> <laughs> the incredible costumes that were assembled over all of the seasons. Shout out to Jen Muller, our, our costume designer in the last two seasons was awesome. Thank you. I mean, not to be selfish, but I'm just going to miss Lavinia. <laughs> I love my own character. I really, I really do. I really do. It was such a rare opportunity to get to play with being a bit more of a character actress than I, I tend to get to at this age. And, and she was just endlessly delicious to me and I miss her already. I miss Lavinia too. Just gonna say my answer is Lavinia also. <laughs> um, I, I would just add that this is a, you know, I just, I, I miss, I'll miss the journey of it. Mm. Like it was a, and an insane, chunk of years and I know that I personally grew so much and like we all did and these are big big years that we shared together so that's it's a crazy it's a crazy thing it's wild 
Shanaza also became the father of twins and I am a mother of twins. So there, there are just so many Dickinson babies crawling around yeah. at this point that, that yeah. that's, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, I, I, I will, I will miss so much the opportunity that I had to play with the people who are here where we created this odd sort of braid between the truth about Emily Dickinson and her family, what I had to say, and then the truth about the actual people who are here and how their souls fed the work that we were doing. You know, it was like the relationship between Adrian and Shanaza was part of the inspiration of the, of the relationship between Austin and Henry, you know, like, and, and that goes for everyone. And it was, it was so fun to sit in the midst of all that and and to just um, be able to play. But I also know that I will have a chance again with all of the people here to, um, to work in that way, because I think when you find people that you connect with and that you, um, you know, that you work in the same way with, why would you ever give that up? I mean, out We're of, out of all of it, like that's the point, you know? Yeah. What'd you say, Ella? We're going to hold you to that. You've now said it on something that <laughs> you heard it here. You yeah. heard it here. Thank you so much.